Hi, and welcome to another edition of Jim on the Air. I'm Jim Suriani, your host. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Jim on the Air. And uh, this time around, we are dedicating the show to the Reemerge Dance Festival, which is being presented by Center Stage Theater at Center Stage. And uh, the whole purpose of the Reemerge Dance uh, Festival is to celebrate the fact that we're starting to reopen theaters all across the land um, as the um, as the pandemic starts to uh, ease up a little bit. Uh, more and more folks are getting the vaccine, and uh, more and more people are able to uh, go out and and do stuff: go to the theater, go to a restaurant, go see a movie, um, sporting events. And so as a part of a way to celebrate the fact that everything is reopening, Center Stage has created this dance festival, Reemerge Dance Festival, and it will take place on uh, Jan uh, January, June 17th through the 20th, June 17th through the 20th, and at Center Stage. And for ticket information, you can go to the Center Stage website, centerstagetheater.org. Again, that's Center Stage Theater. Dot org and uh, click over there and you can uh, get your tickets reserved and uh, do that online. Also, um, you can click on the blog tab and on the blog for Center Stage is all the information, all the in-depth information about the festival, about each of the performers and various studios that are performing. And you can learn more in-depth on the blog there at Center Stage. And again, it's centerstagetheater.org. And my guest for today is Alexandra King. And um, Alexandra is a nationally recognized Middle Eastern dancer and has been one of Santa Barbara's top belly dancers since 1981. And she was the house dancer at the, the uh, Palak- The Plaka. Plaka, that's right. <laughs> I was looking at that wrong. Plaka restaurant for 12 years, co-founded the UCSB Middle East Ensemble and has won a number of awards for her work. And you can learn more about Alexandra at her website, alexandraking.com. That's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A king.com, in case you're grabbing your pen there. And with no further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Alexandra to our show. Alexandra, welcome to Jim on the Air. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you, it's great to be here. So um, tell me a little bit about uh, your path as an artist. What led you uh, to dance eventually. How, how did that start for you? So I was born in New York City, raised in the Virgin Islands, so I am a West Indian woman. Nice. <laughs> um, and um, my family were musicians and dance and not dancers, actors, theater, film for three generations on both sides. So my childhood home was both insane because we were all, everybody was a performer and so it was a theater in our home. I always tell people my mom read us Shakespeare to put us to sleep at night. <laughs> and of course there are carnivals and wonderful things that happened, you know, culturally when I was growing up, it was a multicultural environment. And that led us to adore dance. But I was the black sheep because everybody else was a musician and an actor and they thought I was crazy. Why would anybody want to be a dancer? There's no money in it. Uh -huh. um, but I fell in love with it and that was that. And um, I was en route to become a ballerina. When I came to California in my early 20s, I discovered ethnic dance and that was the end of that. I just became 
I studied one form of dance after another, became a dance whore, and loved everything, and did every form, and eventually oh, joined Scott Marcus at the at UCSB and became a Middle Eastern dance instructor while I toured the U.S. and and taught, and it was a career. Nice. Uh, so tell us about the tradition of uh, belly dancing. Um, what what is what are its roots? How how did it come about? So. Um, there are a lot of myths around it, but basically it's, uh, it originated in India over 5,000 years ago when, you know, the Indian dance began. It was sort of the oldest form of dance. And then gypsies migrated across about 1,000 years ago, across to in Iran and Turkey and North Africa, eventually settling in those places. And every place they went, they assimilated the culture and formed their own version of dance. A lot of it was based the basic foundation of what we call belly dance today. Um, fast forward to the late 19th century, in Turkey, Egypt, and the United States, um, the world was becoming much more, which is much smaller, and so there was a lot of um, entertainment and travel. So if you went to Egypt at the turn of the century, you might go to a tavern and see dancing and music. Same in Turkey and same in this country. The diaspora of uh, Middle Eastern people settling in this country in the early 20th century um, expanded. And by the middle of the 20th century, there were taverns and clubs and restaurants all over the US. Um, it was still a subculture, but it was beginning to blossom. And by the 70s, when I joined that style of dance, um, there, were, there were musicians and dancers in all the major cities who were working professionally. Um, and that's kind of the history of it, the high points and the bullet points of it, you know. Mm -hmm. So while it was while it was developing in Egypt and Turkey as a public form of entertainment in the late 19th, early 20th century, it was also um, developing in this country. It started, the first performance was at the um, Chicago World's Fair. Little Egypt was there with oh. um, with a lot of different uh, musicians and dancers who were brought in for the Middle Eastern Fair, I believe it was called. And so that sort of was the first expose of the dance. And it was, you know, it got its name in North Africa, belly dancing, La Danse de Ventreux, because the French were horrified during the Victorian era to see women with their their torsos exposed. <laughs> Same thing in at the Chicago World's Fair. So people say, how did it get that name? Well, not because you're dancing with your belly, but because it was exposed. And oh. so that was considered just, you know, oh. Horrific. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, oh, my gosh, yeah. gyrating around on the stage. Now today, it's <laughs> no. not as bad, right? So we're, I mean, how many modern dances, performances have we seen in big cities uh, where they're half naked, if not all the way? <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, you're watching like, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, when um, spring break, you know, and you see the kids at the beaches, you know, barely <laughs> a little tiny piece of fabric that's covering everything. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's come a long way. Um, well, but it's amazing though that it started five thousand years ago. That's just well, we we researchers have you know um, gone back and and looked at all the different styles and and looked at this and researched the history of each form of dance. In, from India through Central Asia to the Levant and North Africa and the styles of dance that cropped up over history really were 
the roots. If you look at the way that the people danced in those different regions, particularly in, in Iran, the Qajar dynasty in the late 1800s, 1700s, really incubated the dancers and musicians and protected them, gave them um, places in the palaces to to nurture and develop and foster the styles of dance and music that became the classical styles of Iran. Um, okay. And that sort of laid the foundations of belly dance as we know it today, because the dancers and musicians had a three century period to grow. And, yeah. and then when it hit, you know, the late 19th century opened up the taverns for the public and, and incoming tourism, um, it had already really developed into a style of dance that we call uh, Baladi or homeland dance in Arabic. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Uh, it's such a rich history uh, for, for this uh, type of dance. Um, and interestingly enough, if I may just say one more sure. thing, um, flamenco is the grandchild of Arabic and Indian dance. If you look at the footwork, it, um, the, the Arabs and the Moors, I mean, the Moors and the the, um, the Jews and the Gypsies that were that lived in, in Andalusia um, in, around the 1492 era were persecuted and told to get out when Ferdinand and Isabella came back and reconquered Spain and said, either you leave or you convert. So they hid in caves in um, wow. Sacramante and in Granada, and they kind of were, were forced to be together. And that's kind of how flamenco came to be, was the, the three cultures oh. merging in unison to protect themselves from the conquest of the new king and queen. And wow. over the next three centuries, that style of dance, flamenco, also developed in caverns and became very sophisticated as did belly dance. And so you see a lot of similarity in the styles of music and dances because Basically, flamenco comes, you know, as the grandchild of Arabic, Indian, and Spanish dance. Wow, what an amazing history! And, and yeah, and now that I think about it, when I when I've seen uh, flamenco dancing and I've seen belly dancing and and such, yeah, you see a lot of similar. Lots similar. That makes ah! sense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it makes sense that that they that they merged. They were forced to. They had to. They had to stick together. Wow, that's an amazing that's an amazing history. Um, so I'm I'm talking with Alexandra King, and um, her piece, by the way, will be featured at the Reemerge Dance Festival, and that will be on Friday, June 18th at 7 p.m. You can see her piece on on that performance. And if you want to check out the whole festival or one one performance or all of them, or mix or match, uh, you can certainly do so. And you would just go to the Center Stage website centerstagetheater.org that's centerstagetheater.org and you can check out um, you can reserve tickets you can also check out the blog and learn more in-depth information about all the various performers that will be at the festival again centerstagetheater.org and also Alexandra's uh, website is alexandraking.com that's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A king.com to learn more about what she's up to and, and uh, learn everything that's going on there as well uh, so, Alexander, let me ask you then: How, you know, as a dancer and as a performer, how was the shutdown and quarantine for you this last year? How did, how did you manage through that whole mess? <laughs> <laughs> well, like a lot, well, probably every dancer in the world, you know, I had to switch from real life to to Zoom and um, other platforms 
So I did a lot of online, mostly private lessons. My group classes have basically crashed. So I have to restart my school and that's daunting and frightening. Um, but, but at the same time, I, you know, I survived with private lessons and grants for artists and things. People came forward. I was just astonishing how generous and kind, not just local, but mostly national and international donors were really generous with, with grants and help financially, in addition to the government, ha you know, stimulus checks. So I eked by, uh, what's frightening now is we have rampant, you know, um, uh, the, I'm losing my words right now, but you know, we have, we're getting back into the saddle, we're getting back on the saddle and yet there's no school left to, to really work in. So I'm kind of keeping oh. my fingers crossed that this summer things will reemerge for dancers. Right, right. Now, um, was your studio located um, somewhere in Santa Barbara or how, how did that I work? Didn't, I don't have a studio, but I okay. worked, most dance teachers cannot afford a studio in Santa Barbara. So they, <laughs> I, they I are, can imagine, yeah. you know, because you need huge amounts of space. Um, that's a dream of mine, of course, but I don't know if it'll ever come. We'll see. But I did, I'm a mobile teacher, like a lot of teachers. I go from one studio to the next and teach and I go to people's homes. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it's, it's normally it would be in person, either at their in home, home or... or in a studio. And that's, right. this, and also I work at Santa Barbara City College um, in the extension program, teaching beginning classes there. That shut down immediately last year. Right. And, um, and you were mentioning that you had to do a lot on Zoom. Um, and I've, I've spoken with other uh, dancers and choreographers about how, how tricky it is and challenging to use Zoom. Uh, and how was that for you, especially with, you know, keeping time and all that stuff and dealing with uh, the internet? How, how was that process? Uh, it had its moments. <clears throat> I mean, it was a salvation financially, but I certainly did not like teaching beginning classes because you can't correct dancers. So dance, you know, is a three-dimensional art form. You have to be right there behind the body, moving it around and helping people feel from the subjectively what it what you're doing with different body parts like okay now lift from the elbow don't lift from the shoulder or the hand things like that you you can say it but it's hard to f experience it without a body there right next to you doing it helping you um, That's learn number one. yeah and then number two dance requires space you have to move around and i have this tiny little room and so do everybody, all my students. So that I wouldn't want to take those students and put them on stage <laughs> right away because they need a lot more work yeah. after Zoom. After, yeah, and be able to uh, actually work in a real space for sure. Um, now, what is it that you're hoping the audience takes away from the piece once they've seen it? You know, when they leave the theater, what are you hoping they take away from the whole thing? Well, the the purpose of the piece that I'm presenting is to. Uh, show the world the evolution of the art and the different geographies because belly dance is not just an Egyptian art it's Turkish it's Lebanese and it's American so there are very distinct styles that um, have evolved over the last century and they're all very much more complicated than they were even when I was a young dancer it's the art form has expanded and grown the way most art and science does as you go through time so I hope that the audience will see the various styles and think wow this is a lot more complicated than I thought and that they like it 
Oh, very cool. Nice, nice, very good. And then um, I was checking out your website earlier before we went on, and um, you have some. Do you have some events coming up after the uh, the Reemerge Festival? Um, well, yes, I'm co co hosting or co managing Batch, which is a an oh. iconic event in Santa Barbara. Um, director and producer is Derek Curtis. I'm working with Jatila Van Der Veen and um, Roxana Bonderson, and we're all helping him put Bash on this year. We're expanding it to be more of a world dance festival and still maintaining the the, the hip hop and um, tango and ballroom styles, but expanding it. We're going to do it at Marjorie Luke in November. Um, I have a show that I do every year at Soho in December called the Soho Recital for my school. And then I have a recital coming up in three weeks at Carpolis um, Museum upstairs on the 24th. And that's a school recital. So, yeah. Oh, wow. So it's, it's uh, great to see that you have plans. And, yeah. and uh, hopefully the, the pandemic doesn't take a... A, a turn for the worse, and fingers crossed, and you know prayers that you know it, it, it keeps we keep heading in the right direction, and um, it's nice that we're in the yellow tier now, um, you know, so that that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, but um, well, hopefully, all um, I'm hopeful that your plans will go through, um, you know, for the next for the rest of the year and on into the future. Um, and I hope you wouldn't mind um, humoring me for a little bit. I was hoping to ask you some random questions, what I call random questions. And uh, just to get to know you in a, in a way other than through dance, would you mind if I put you on the spot for a little bit? Be my guest. <laughs> and I've done this with everybody else too, so everyone's had to, you know. Suffer through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so the first random question that I have is, um, what is your favorite comfort food? If you had to just pick one, what would be your favorite comfort food? Artichokes. Oh. Artichokes, ooh, like 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 um, yeah, yeah. I love artichokes. Then you eat the leaves, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not raw. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now that you say that, I might have to go get some artichokes. I haven't had artichokes <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> Let me give you my sauce. It's really good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exchange recipes afterwards. <laughs> that would be great. Um, yeah, artichokes are. That's a great comfort food, and. Um, <laughs> So what's your most treasured or prized possession? If you had to pick just one. I'm sure there's many. Well, not too many. I don't, you know, as an artist, I don't have a lot of stuff. But the thing that I love the most, I think, is a little um, bookshelf that my son made for me when he was learning to be a carpenter. And the first, you know, like thing he did was, thing he completed was this little um, shelf. It was just so sweet. You know, he was 18 and I just love it. Oh, and you still have it today? Yeah, I put all my little icons and my spiritual and religious figures on it. It's very small, but so I can take it anywhere. Oh. But um, it always reminds me of him. Oh, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's very cool. I like that. And um, let's see here. And then my next question. Um, well, okay, who's your favorite fictional character? And it could be a character in literature or movies, television. If you had to pick just one, who would be your favorite fictional character? Um, I'd say Sherlock Holmes. Oh, somebody else said Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I love him because I wanted to be a detective when I was a child. Okay. I mean, I think it was the Nancy Drew books, but I really, really love mysteries. And um, he's a very exotic and eccentric character, and so am I. 
Okay. And um, I can relate to that. And he kind of lived life's, lives life on his own terms. So do I, obviously. Oh, yeah. Those are the three things that attract me to him. And I cannot get enough of Sherlock Holmes books and movies. And Yeah. Do, do you have a favorite actor who's portrayed Sherlock Holmes? Yes. Um, I think my, well, my favorite, at first, of course, it was Basil Rathbone, but I, yeah. I loved the rendition that was done by the British company, and I don't remember it, and I cannot remember his name either, because it's a, such a strange name, but he's a well-known actor, a British actor right now, and his last name is very strange. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about, and I can't think of his name either, but... I um... think they did, they did a, a series of, with him. And it was like there was only four episodes or something, but it was mind-boggling. He was—they sped up a lot of the things he did and showed the internal machinations of his mind while he was oh. working. I just thought that was mind-boggling to have the two instead yeah. of the just the external. Right, right. And I, I think what was the American version of that called Elementary? Is, is it there the was same? a TV series, yeah, and I didn't like that as much. But I also loved the two films that yeah. Robert, what's his name, did. Oh, Robert Downey. Or, yeah. Robert Downing did a great job. He did a great job as, you know, as Sherlock Holmes too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and of course you can't beat Basil Rathbone. <laughs> and of course that would be my third choice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Well, um, Alexandra, uh, we're just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. But before yeah. we go, um, is there any information you want to put out? Any four one one, um, how people can find you, social media, all that good stuff that you want to put out before we go. I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. I don't do a lot of Instagram, but I do have a Facebook page and I have my website. And um, I just want to say I finished my first screenplay and I. Oh, nice. That you've written? That. I'm going to put that on my Facebook page pretty soon. But anyway, I'm working on that. And hopefully, it'll become a movie, Muscovado, about the slave rebellion on St. John, Virgin Islands, which is oh. where I'm from. Um, and that's all. Well, good luck with that. And hopefully, um, that will. Uh, come to fruition that that sounds great thank you and, and again you can uh, find Alexandra on her website alexandraking.com that's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A King K-I-N-G dot com alexandraking.com is her website and for uh, information and tickets to the Reemerge Dance Festival you can log on to centerstagetheater.org that's centerstagetheater.org and you can reserve your tickets online there and um, you can also click on the blog tab on the Center Stage website and check out all the information about the Dance Festival, all the various performers and studios that are uh, presenting this year and learn more about them. Again, that's all on centerstagetheater.org. And if you're curious what I'm up to, you can follow me all over social media, Jim on the Air. That's Jim on the Air on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. It has to be different for some reason. It's Jim on the radio, but only because I'm lazy and I haven't changed it yet. But uh, Jim on the air. And then the uh, the podcast is available on several platforms. Jim on the air on uh, Apple Podcast, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, etc. And you can find the podcast there as well. And Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us today and continued success with um, all the dancing. And uh, don't break a leg. I won't say that because <laughs> we don't want uh, dancers to do that. But um, continued success with, with all your endeavors. Thanks so much, Jim. Great talking to you. And you as well. And everybody, thank you so much for watching or listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.